Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. Unreasonable measure, unearned and undeserved. I hope you recognize that you are as well, wherever you might be in your life. If that's a conversation you want to have further, find me on Twitter, DMs wide open, at jmartzone. Would love to talk about it with you. I haven't been here in a week, and I'm going to do my best voice-wise to get through it as enthusiastically as I can, but the pollen and the allergies have definitely got me down. It's been a tough last 12 hours, I would say, in particular. You felt it coming on. You're outside for the NFL draft, but we're going to power through this thing. 615-737-1045 is how do you join me, 737-1045. If you came to the draft and you want to talk about the draft, the experience that you had, how you felt about everything, feel free to give us a call. Ryan Mudd's behind the glass, spinning the dials radio style for me tonight. I've got things to talk about. I want to talk about Jeffrey Simmons and ESPN in the next segment, a piece that I wrote for the Big Six blog at 1045thezone.com that released on Saturday. I want to talk about that story. I have not gotten a comment on Tyreek Hill, and I have a lot to say about that. And certainly two of the bigger pop culture experiences in recent memory came within about 48 hours of one another as Avengers Endgame is breaking all kinds of records. I'm going to give you some stats that are going to boggle your mind in a final segment and also talk a little bit of Game of Thrones and how one landed the plane and maybe one didn't. But let's talk about the city of Nashville first. Because I don't love talking about the NFL draft in totality about, well, who did this and who did what. I'm going to play some audio for you here in just a minute from The Ringer, from Robert Mays, from uh, Kevin Clark, and from Danny Kelly in their draft roundup afterwards and what they had to say about the Titans. Because if you left the draft feeling hopeless, and I don't necessarily know why you would, then this may give you some hope. But I want to talk about the city of Nashville first because over 600,000 people showed up during the NFL draft. The previous record was Philadelphia at 250,000. More than double. And when I mean more than double, I don't mean another 200 like people or another 1,000 people. Doubling what Philadelphia did would have been 500. Nashville did 600,000. I don't know that it will ever be duplicated. If it would, it would be next year in Vegas. Because there's something unique about the atmosphere in Nashville, Tennessee, because there's only one Broadway. I know that Ian Rappaport was on earlier with 3HL and others have said Broadway's a street they just did not know was as cool as it actually is. And it definitely is. And it enables things like hundreds of thousand people to filter down a wide stretch of asphalt unable to move, but just all sort of in a celebratory atmosphere. We've seen it here for years. We've seen it for decades. We saw it in St. Patrick's Day. You see it with New Year's Eve. There's a party atmosphere. Jonathan Schaefer, the producer of the Wake Up Zone, asked me on Thursday night, he said that, you know, there's a question that's sort of out there now as to whether Nashville is a sports city that likes to party or a party city that also likes sports. You could maybe answer that both ways. I tend to think it might be the second one because Nashville definitely knows how to throw a party. 
And if you talk about the two it cities over the past 10 years, maybe even longer, but definitely the past 10 years nationally, the two it cities are Austin, Texas and Nashville, Tennessee. But Nashville, a lot more people are flocking into. Austin, from a population standpoint, isn't necessarily growing the way Nashville, which the estimate is 100 new people moving to Nashville per day. And you see those 100 people multiplying into vehicles that make your traversal home a little bit more treacherous. And that's why I'm here, to get you there as easily as I can. Austin, Texas is a place you go to visit. It's got a cool downtown scene as well. It's got a little bit of Asheville, North Carolina in it as well in terms of how progressive it is. Nashville, to those that don't know, think it's a country music mecca. And not that it's not, but it has evolved into something far greater. And you can look at Jack White and you know Dave Grohl bringing Sonic Highways here. And all of the... It's a melting pot when it comes to music and culture. And the Nashville Predators helped to really change that. And what helped the Nashville Predators change that was them starting to win hockey games that mattered. But I'm not telling you anything you don't already know about the city of Nashville, Tennessee, because anytime Nashville gets an opportunity to show itself, Nashville shows itself in the best possible light. Recall the NHL All-Star Game and what we saw there. And what the NHL saw there and what the sports media community that covers that event saw here. They saw, oh, wow, we've never seen it done this way before. What was it that Adam Schefter tweeted out Thursday before the draft even commenced, before the first round started, before Roger Goodell came out and welcomed everybody, before Kyler Murray became an Arizona Cardinal? What was the first thing that came out of Adam Schefter's mouth? It was that these draft cities, Philadelphia, and Chicago, and Dallas, you know, taking it on the road and not just keeping it at Radio City Music Hall or wherever in New York and moving it around was a really good deal, but that no draft for any sport had ever looked anything like what Nashville looked like. And it's true. Every aerial shot, every wide cam, every pan, every zoom, every dolly, every move, Nashville showed itself in the best possible light. So what does this mean? Well, it means they knew what they were doing. It means that a whole lot of people had an experience. There were a whole lot of people down there that are not even football fans that just had to be there. This is one of those that you can tell somebody about. This is one of those that in 20 years, you're going to say, yeah, I was there. The first time, not the last time, because it will be back. But the first time that the NFL draft came to Nashville, Tennessee. There's only one first. And a lot of you were there. And your families were there. And you made sure your kids were there and that you had these memories because what is life in many ways as you get older and you get more experienced, the things that matter are those experiences, those memories, the time that you saw your son hit his first baseball. You never know how often or, or just how much you're going to have the opportunity to do something like that. So everybody turned out, but this is what this city does. Ladies and gentlemen, Mark Henry, former wwe -er, now Hall of Famer. It's what I do. This is what Nashville does. And I continue to wonder when it's going to be that those who have not already figured this out recognize it. So what would be next for Nashville? Was this a dress rehearsal for a Super Bowl? Was this a dress rehearsal for a college football playoff national championship game? The answer to those two questions depend upon whether or not there's going to be a new stadium built with a roof. Honestly, 
If that happens, no doubt those two events would end up here. Was it a dress rehearsal? You know, it shouldn't even be a dress rehearsal. This should have been all Vince McMahon needed to see to bring WrestleMania to Nashville or SummerSlam. And when I say that, it's not one event. It's an entire week's worth of events. And you need to have the logistics and you need to have the structures capable of holding all the tertiary events in addition to the main one. Nissan as a stadium is not appetizing to a lot of these groups. It's not accessible in the way that people want it to be accessible. And the weather is not something that you can leave to chance in situations like this. But the WWE takes over a city for a week in much the same way the NFL took over Nashville for a week. And there's a Hall of Fame ceremony. And there is a developmental and NXT secondary wrestling event that does well over 10,000 people on its own. And then there are 30 or 40 other organizations that bring their shows here to be a part of it. And there are conventions and there is an access fan experience. Everything I just named could be brought into Nashville right now. And if anybody in that building working for that company saw this, they should already be trying to make a deal with the city to bring it here. Nashville is only going to get bigger. More people are going to move here, but people see this stuff on TV and they're like, man, I want to be a part of that. I heard a national radio host yesterday talk about not understanding why people would want to come to Nashville for the NFL draft. And I don't even understand the argument against such a thing. Like if you don't want to come because the NFL draft's a little bit boring. Okay. I'm with you on that. Like it's not like the most exciting thing in the world, especially once you get past the guys that you want to see but that's why nashville makes total sense because this city knows how to throw a party it knows how to be a host think about what happened saturday in this city think about the fact we almost had a game seven the night before the end the uh nfl draft began with the predators and stars and what that would have meant saturday there was the marathon and the half marathon and there were concerts all over the place free and otherwise downtown jimmy buffett was at bridgestone arena Josh Ritter played at City Winery in the afternoon, the day after his new album released. Special guests showed up. And then that night, we all sat there, applauded, and gave a bunch of people that gave their lives to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society over the past 10 weeks a standing ovation for raising over $550,000 during that time. Never have I been more proud of a room of people, I don't think, than I was on that night. Never have I been more proud to be a friend of someone than I am Jonathan Hutton and the work that he put in. We all saw it for ourselves over the past 10 weeks. And it's not like that dude didn't have a full-time job on top of that. And a family that he, you know, needs to make sure he's spending time with. He has a full life and he basically somehow created a second one out of nowhere. And through the generosity and you guys always go above and beyond, but the generosity of everyone, he ended up raising $12 shy of $148,000 for leukemia and lymphoma research. I don't even know what to say. But Nashville had everything going on. That was the highlight for me. As great as the draft was, it doesn't hold a candle to what I saw on Saturday night. But this city isn't it city for a reason. And I don't necessarily know why it's taken this long. But people have recognized it now. Everyone that was here covering the draft, and there were a whole lot of people covering the draft. I saw and met a lot of them in the media tent and the media organization on Thursday night during the first round when I was part of the fracas down there as well. And the other thing I noticed, yeah, I'm sure a lot of alcohol was consumed. 
know what I didn't see? A whole lot of reports of fights, a whole lot of report of disorderly conduct and things that way. This was a bunch of people having a celebration that loved being around this many people that loved what they loved. What we get to do for a living here behind this microphone, and I, I'm constantly just blown away by the fact that I can get paid to do this, is we get paid to analyze and scrutinize and sometimes just flat out sit in awe of entertainment escapes. We're able to walk away from whatever might be going on in our lives and live through or live with someone else that agrees or disagrees with us. Fan bases that you get behind and fan bases that you can't stand because they don't like your team. This was 32 NFL franchises, fans of all of them. I saw jerseys from every single team. Sure, there were a lot of Titans jerseys. There were a ton of Arizona Cardinals jerseys, a ton of Minnesota Vikings jerseys, Detroit Lions jerseys. We saw the Giants fans, obviously, on TV. Jets, doesn't matter. This became a place where you were home because the NFL is king. And I don't mean the night king. I mean one that will endure, one that's not going anywhere. And so there were a whole lot of smiles on a whole lot of faces downtown in Nashville. Kudos to you if you were one of them. Kudos to the NFL for choosing Nashville. Kudos to Amy Adams Strunk and everybody that got him here. Kudos to the Titans organization for everything that they did to make it happen. Kudos to the city of Nashville and everyone that made this an event that I don't know will ever be duplicated, not just in the state of Tennessee, but anywhere else. This is what this city does. If you were there and you have thoughts, 615-737-1045, 737-1045. Up next, I wrote a piece about Jeffrey Simmons, the 19th pick who was on his way to Nashville, and how ESPN decided they were going to cover him. What responsibility do the media have to create some level of nuance in a world where nuance is no longer respected? We will tackle that difficult and complex question next. Big Six rolling along here on 104.5. This Jack White for you. Nashville showing out. It's no surprise to us. NFL draft a smashing success. This is a big six here on 104.5 The Zone. Ryan Mudd's my producer doing a great job. 615-737-1045 to join us. I'm on Twitter at jmardzone. Let's go to Ron in Clarksville. He waited patiently through the break. Ron, how are you tonight? Ron, you with us? Yeah, yeah, doing good. Hey, I want to give kudos to uh, the NFL. They did an excellent job. They spent the $20 million. Good time in Nashville. Did you go? Yes. Did you go more than once or you just go one day? Just one day. Which day? Friday. What was the experience like for you? Awesome. Very good. Excellent. Man of not very many words, but yes. Awesome and excellent. Jeremy in Nashville up next. Jeremy, what's up? Hey, man. I'm a blessed man living in a blessed city. And, Amen. Uh, going to say I went down Friday with my mom and dad and my sister and did the NFL fan experience. And uh, we didn't get a chance to make it across the river, but my sister did get tickets to fill in seats uh, on Saturday. So we went back on Saturday and didn't know what to expect on that. 
And, man, they brought us right down in front of the stage, and we sat on these bleachers set up right in front of uh, Hard Rock Cafe right across the stage, which was absolutely amazing. And uh, I just want to say, man, one thing I noticed uh, from the top notch from, from the NFL, but one thing I did want to say, if, if you're a Metro police officer and you're listening tonight, man, as much crap as they get, I, there was not one spot around there that I did not see an officer posted up ready, whether it was security or Metro, and those guys were top-notch, and every one of them I tried to see, I tried to shake their hand and thank them because it, it was just a great experience for them guys, and I, I just want to say I appreciate them. Thank you. That's a really good point, Jeremy. And they had to work super hard, and never, at least at the time I was there, never did I feel unsafe. I felt like, I, but I didn't feel like we were in the middle of some kind of militarized zone either. Once you got in there, it didn't feel like there was a whole lot to worry about. And in events like that, that's definitely something that can become a problem. In this case, it wasn't. Again, Nashville did it right. The NFL made the right decision to come here. When they took it over, boy, did they ever take it over. The stage, which was then taken down yesterday, super impressive. I'm walking past buildings that I didn't even know existed because they didn't. The NFL basically constructed a Heisman house here just a, a little bit away from the draft experience. There was stuff everywhere. It was unlike anything I've ever seen. No question about that. Let's take uh, Jamie in White House next. Jamie, what say you this evening? Hey, guys. So we went down Thursday. got down around 2.30, um, and it was, uh, it was, man, it was just cool. It was cool how um, the fan experience was across the river at the stadium. Then you had uh, just the way that they navigated you across uh, over to Broadway, across the bridge. And there was cool things on the bridge, but me and my three friends, we tallied, uh, we tallied the NFL gear team appropriate. Um, yeah. Right. Uh, you know, you're know, like, so the, the Titans, of course, are number one mm-hmm. uh, with well over 4,000 different tallies. Uh, Steelers were very close with 3,723-something. I think the Titans were like at 4,100, but the Steelers were really close. And then the next was the Packers, uh, right around 2,800 people wearing gear down there. So I thought that was really cool. The Packers contingent was out really strong. Uh, We kind of knew the Steelers would be real real Yeah, they always are. Yeah, So, but I thought that was pretty cool. Um, You know, I I really wish that we could have taken pictures and uploaded pictures from the draft and had this big draft wall of crazy fans. Cause I think that'd been really interactive and cool. Yeah. And I'm sure they'll get better at it. I appreciate those thoughts, but yeah, you, you're never surprised when you see Steelers stuff everywhere because there are Steelers fans nationwide and they are very, very overt in their love of the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Packers. And you, well, I mean, you know about it from a season ticket standpoint, but there are a lot of Packers fans nationwide and they have no problem traveling. It costs a lot to go to Packers games because all those tickets are sold out like decades in advance. So if you're there, you're either a diehard fan or you've got some money. Ben in Russellville, Kentucky next here tonight. Ben, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good, man. I've heard a lot of good comments about, you know, how uh, Nashville did it up right with the uh, NFL draft. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I think it's really great. I heard a lot of positive comments about it, uh, especially for the uh, uh former athletes who got the opportunity to take the stage and uh, announce their uh, their former team's uh, picks. Right. But one thing that really rubbed me the wrong way was to hear Randy Wayne get up there on stage 
you know, and have about a minute and a half, two minutes to sit up there and talk trash about Nashville and the Tennessee Titans. And I hope there's a bunch of people that got on social media and just lit him up because he had that one opportunity, you know, to you know, comment to Nashville about how great the draft was. I think we might have lost you there, but I know what you're saying. Reggie Wayne just decided to go play heel. He decided to go be a villain. He played pretty much his entire career with the Titans as one of his arch rivals in division. And so he was here in Nashville as an Indianapolis Colt who killed the Titans for years and years. And he just took the opportunity to put on the black hat and be a villain for a little while. I actually thought it was kind of funny because he wasn't wrong. I mean, Andrew Luck's never even been beaten by the Tennessee Titans. You might have you might have thought it rubbed you the wrong way, but I don't think Reggie Wayne hates Nashville. Reggie Wayne's a competitor like most NFL players are, not named Kevin Dodd. And generally speaking, he just kind of tried to needle the opposing fan base a little bit. I don't think there's that much to be... I mean, and people did go blow him up. I mean, there were a lot of people that were upset about it, but I think people need to calm down. This was just kind of entertainment. Again, that's what we're doing here. We're talking about entertainment. We're talking about a game. We're talking about people that go you know, play football for a living and guys that are now going to get an opportunity to be millionaires and become celebrities because of their ability to do so at a high level, their God-given ability. Speaking of God-given ability to do something at a high level, I have not gotten to talk about Tyreek Hill. And when we come back off this break, I want to lay out my case that some, for I, I can't believe it, but people actually tried to disagree with me and defend Tyreek Hill on social media. And so I may not get to Jeffrey Simmons and ESPN tonight. I may hold that and do that tomorrow instead. But before we go to break real quick, I want you to hear what the Ringer NFL show, Robert Mays, um, Danny Kelly, and Kevin Clark, who I think do the best show anywhere in terms of just pure NFL on a weekly basis. This is what they had to say. Robert Mays is the voice you're going to hear from the most here in this about a minute cut as they were talking about teams that did well in the draft. And if you had any problems with what the Titans did, this might make you feel a little bit better if you're a Titans fan. There are two teams that when they make draft picks, I just think those are the guys I would have liked. And in the, over the last few years, that's been the Chargers and the, uh, the Titans. Yeah. Like when I watched those first few picks of the Titans, Jeffrey Simmons is the type of defensive tackle just skill wise. I think really works. I mean, yeah, if I compared yeah. him to Chris Jones, it's like that's the type of guy you'd want in the middle of your defense from what he has a, just in terms of ability. AJ Brown was maybe my favorite receiver in the whole draft. And he goes in the middle of the second round. Danny, I thought, I bet that shocked you. Oh, yeah. And yeah, then, I mean, that's a huge value for them. And then it's interesting how he's going to fit with Corey Davis. I don't know exactly as I'm kind of building which guy is going to do what within that offense. I like right. diversity of skill set among receivers. I think they can be kind of redundant just in terms of physicality. But I think that you're he's able to do more stuff underneath where I think it's going to work. I just thought they wanted more speed out of that outside receiver that they were looking for because they have uh, what's his name on the slot now? They have Taewon Taylor, Tajay well, Humphreys. Sharp, Humphreys. They have Humphreys in the slot yeah. now. So I, I thought Brown projected as a slot guy, but they have Humphreys. So I'll be curious to see how they use him. And Nate Davis, the guard that they got from Charlotte, I went back and I watched him a little bit after they did it. I was going to say, you probably like this guy. And I liked him. I mean, just <laughs> to drop a guy with that sort of physicality right yeah. in the middle of your offense, you lose Josh Klein in the offseason. I think he could be able, I think he could start. And again, for every couple, like the, the last couple of years, I've just looked at the Titans and be like, I like that. I like the moves <laughs> they're making. And this was just another example. Yeah. That's the Ringer NFL show. They like that. And you know what? I kind of did too. And we will discuss and, and go into the draft a lot more 
as we continue along through the week. I do want a lot of time to talk about Jeffrey Simmons and ESPN and the complexity about that issue. I don't want to do it tonight, though. Before we get any further down the line, I want to talk about Tyreek Hill. Somebody else who was given a whole lot of ability but squandered it and shouldn't ever get another chance to use that ability again. That's next. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. It is the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Well, Japan Droids for you here on a Monday. I'm Jason Martin. You can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. 615-737-1045 to join the program. Talk some pop culture in the final segment. Stick around for that. Actually, I want to talk a little pop culture right now. I want to talk about Seinfeld. I want to talk about, and you're probably wondering, what? Why are you talking about Seinfeld? Well, it'll make sense in a second. If you recall the Christmas episode from fairly early in the series, somewhere around, I think it was around like the 30th or 40th episode. George Costanza bought a cashmere sweater and he got it on a major super discount because it was damaged. It had a red dot on it. It was just one red dot and it was a white sweater. But he thought, oh, I mean, a cashmere sweater, we know how much, how expensive those are. This thing was like 85% off. It was going to be absurdly cheap. He was able to get that for Elaine for Christmas. When you buy a damaged item like that. You don't necessarily know how it's going to go, but you take an inherent risk and that risk might pay off or it might end up biting you. Tyree Kill for the Kansas City Chiefs is the equivalent of the Chiefs as George Costanza buying a cashmere sweater for a deep discount because of the red dot. Because if you remember, Tyree Kill his speed was like a 425, one of the fastest ever recorded. We know he's one of the fastest players to ever play in the league. Nobody can keep up with that guy down the field. But if you recall as well, the last place he played in college was for the University of West Alabama. Not the Crimson Tide, not Nick Saban. West Alabama. That guy. Why? Well, I would say you probably know why. So the Chiefs get this ridiculous talent in the NFL draft in the fifth round because what comes along with that monumental talent is monumental baggage. When he steps off the plane in Kansas City, that baggage, you're going to the baggage claim to get that along with him. This was a risk. Bomani Jones actually had a really good comparison last week on TV. He said that Tyree kills an open box buy. And I thought about it a little bit more. You know, you go and you'll see the open box stuff at various retailers or whatever. And there's like a note attached to it a lot of times. And it'll say, hey, missing parts. If it's like a TV, you can maybe go buy a universal remote because it's not included. Maybe the chip in the frame on the back. And it doesn't really matter. Or you can buy the HDMI cable or whatever that it might not come with. If it's a sweater... As in the case of George Costanza, maybe no one ever notices that imperfection. Maybe you get yourself a real steal or everybody remarks about it. And what it was that you were able to get cheap becomes a sunk cost that isn't even wearable except around the house. A cashmere sweater. A luxury item that you can barely give away. 
So the Chiefs have now lost two of the major pieces of Andy Reid's offense. Kareem Hunt is now a Cleveland Brown because of kicking and shoving a woman on video. And now Tyreek Hill. And there were people that were literally writing me to say that they would, they meaning the Chiefs, would be so stupid to cut Tyreek Hill, to release him, because somebody else is going to immediately snatch him up. What I'm here to tell you tonight, ladies and gentlemen, is that should not be an option. Because even though we absolutely believe in redemption and we believe in forgiveness, football should not be an option anymore for Tyreek Hill. I want to put one thing out here for you to absorb real quick before we get a little further into this. The woman's pregnant stomach that Tyreek Hill admitted to punching in the first incident that led to him being at West Alabama because he was kicked out of Oklahoma State University. That woman's stomach. The child inside that woman's stomach is the one the audio now reveals he is abusing by punching a three-year-old in the chest and using a belt on him and terrifying him to get respect. And the woman in this case, who may go to jail as well for obstruction and for not revealing the whole truth originally, he didn't just choke her. The original story from the Kansas City Star says that he held Crystal down on the ground for what she says was over a full minute at a time with his hands around her throat. What else goes through your mind if you were the perpetrator in such a situation other than, I'm considering killing you? Because that's dangerously close to murder. And strangulation was one of the charges. I'm not making any of this up. And people send me things and they say, but he has the right to make a living. You're right, he does. Until or unless he's incarcerated, he absolutely does. But what he doesn't have is the right to make this living. Millions of dollars playing a game where he's elite at what he does, but where he has squandered his opportunity to do it. It's sad, but it's true. This job is not like 99% of the other jobs in the world. People are like, would you say that if you worked at Coke? Maybe not, but these are not comparable. This job makes you a millionaire. This job makes you a celebrity. This job makes children look up to you and want to be like you. Charles Barkley is still the greatest ad campaign I've ever seen. I'm not a role model. Way back in the day when he was early in his NBA career. But you are a role model to millions or to thousands of kids. And that puts you and your face as part of a larger billion-dollar brand. Spider-Man, with great power, comes great responsibility. Tyreek Hill has proven himself not once but twice as somebody irresponsible that you can't trust. And after the first incident, he did everything right. He went to court-ordered counseling. He did community service. He did all, all kinds of things in that area. He talked about his family, how much he loved his his girlfriend and his fiance, or what would become his fiance and his son. And everything seemed to be good. And there were reports that this is the model of what it's supposed to be after you make the first mistake. So he did everything right. And then the result of it was the audio, the 11-minute audio that came out a few days ago. So you know what? He should be done, period. I will not hear another argument against that. And if you're the NFL, and I had people that disagree with me on what I just said over the weekend on Twitter, that Tyreek Hill should never play another down in that league. And the arguments are all ridiculous, but my favorite is that it would be bad for him mentally to take football away from him right now. That that would make this worse. 
that that would make it harder for his rehabilitation. And I really don't know how else I can say this. The NFL is not the Betty Ford Clinic. The NFL is not a licensed therapist. It's the furthest thing from Roger Goodell's responsibility to make sure that Tyreek Hill is happy or well-adjusted at this point in his life. The NFL has to ensure the integrity of the league, the safety of the players, and it has to take its responsibility within the larger community because its sphere of influence is so enormous. It's got to take its responsibility within the community as insanely serious. And further, I don't think the NFL needs to teach Tyree Kill not to beat his girlfriend or his wife or to abuse his child. The biggest problem, and you'll recall this if you listened to me last fall, the biggest problem I had with how Urban Meyer defended Zach Smith was that after the first problem down in Florida, the initial one, where Zach pushed Courtney up against the wall and had her by the throat, is that Urban's response was, they're just a young couple. You know, these things happen. He's a great coach, and we're moving forward. As if, hey, you know, these things just happen in new marriages. I mean, who among us hasn't assaulted their spouse for the first few years until we learn it's generally frowned upon? We are built, ladies and gentlemen, with internal mechanisms, ones that doctors can't see on x-rays or under microscopes, mechanisms that tell us innately when something is right and something is wrong. You don't evolve into learning it's not okay to hit a woman or to hit anybody. You don't learn along the way not to punch your three-year-old in the sternum, or strangle your wife, or tell her when she remarks that their son is terrified of you. The quote on the audio, and I've heard him say this, you need to be terrified of me too, expletive. That's why you can't keep a man. Unquote. He should be done. In fact, he must be done. There can't be a slap on the wrist. There can't be a limited sentence. The NFL's got to hold a minimum standard when something like this happens, especially when there's a track record. Tyree Kill has given up his opportunity to earn a living in the league. Every other player needs to see this and know there's no coming back as a pro football player after this. Whether he earned it or not, and that was another argument some tweeted me to defend him, that he earned all of what he's done. He earned his right to be in the NFL. That means nothing as to whether or not he should be able to keep it, though. Think about this. I could earn a million bucks. I could earn $100,000 working hard mixed with whatever ability or strength God gave me through its grace, but I can still blow all that money on drugs or on luxuries or on prostitutes or even on good things. I can blow it on anything. I earned that money, yeah, but I no longer have that money because I treated it carelessly. Tyreek Hill had all-world talent, but he treated it carelessly. So he's got to be gone, not suspended, not even suspended for a full season. When this audio is authenticated, he must be gone, and it may not even be in the NFL's hands. Tyreek Hill may have much bigger legal troubles to worry about, but there is absolutely no other answer here. And I'm sorry if you think there is, if you want the NFLPA to fight against any discipline, you are flat out wrong. That may be their job, so they may do it, and I understand that. But I hope they fail miserably. This guy has given up the golden chance he was given, and it's two incidents, not one. And you don't get three strikes here. You're done, Tyreek. Get out. Now, I pray for Tyreek Hill after saying all that that he can recover from this in his life. And I pray that along the way, he's going to find the solid rock on which he can really stand. And I pray that everything goes well for him in the wake of this horrible thing. But he should never play football again, period. We'll be right back. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone.
Big Six, finishing up here on a Monday. I'm Jason Martin. We're brought to you by Renters Warehouse, dedicated to putting homeowners on the path to financial freedom through rent estate, renting your home without having to do the hard stuff. Renters Warehouse, the rent estate company. If you're wondering, what is this? Well, you're probably not one of the 20 million people that watched Game of Thrones last night. This is called the Night King, orchestral arrangement by Ramin Jawadi. And if you watched the episode, you know exactly what you're listening to right now. And I'm going to let Ryan Mudd just kind of keep this underneath me while I talk. And then it's all of a sudden going to abruptly go to a different tune. But as you know, the Pop 6 is a thing podcast. We'll be finishing up the office this week. Doing our talent draft as well to end it. A lot of you have enjoyed that and said kind things. We appreciate it. But as pop culture is part of what I do as a writer and I guess as a talker. We had two of the bigger pop culture experiences in recent memory hit within just a couple of days on one another as Avengers Endgame hit on Friday, Thursday night I guess, but Friday technically and Game of Thrones had its big battle, the Battle of Winterfell last night, longest episode hour and 22 minutes and the opinions are varied and so I wanted to spend some time talking about my thoughts on them without going into real spoilers here because a lot of you may not have seen what you need to see I'll do a pop six on Avengers Endgame in detail probably next week. But I asked a question. I just retweeted it again. I put a poll up last night right before the Battle of Winterfell began. And I said, how do you like your Starks? Where do you want your Starks to reside? In Avengers Tower or in Winterfell? Because, of course, you have the Stark family and lineage in Game of Thrones. And you have Tony and Howard and Pepper Potts and everyone in the Avengers. I've seen Avengers Endgame twice. I screened it in Atlanta on Tuesday, and then I watched it in Dolby, which if you can do that, you need to do that on Friday. Uh, or that's what I did it on Friday. You need to do it if you get the opportunity. It's, just, it's unbelievable in Dolby. The money Avengers made is going to be my stat on the way out the door. And I will talk about it in the scope of other films similarly, where you actually can inflate the ticket prices all to 2019, and the Avengers numbers are going to blow you away. And I, I told you this was going to happen. I wrote about it in my initial review of the film and said, look, this is going to break every box office record we've ever seen. And it has. But thinking on a larger scale, there are many that were left underwhelmed by Game of Thrones last night, not because it wasn't a visual spectacle, if you were able to see it. A lot of television companies compressed their video, and as such, there was a lot of muddiness, and because it was so dark, a lot of people couldn't see what was going on. To them, I say, go to HBO Go or wherever you stream and stream, and a lot of that will be improved mightily. But there's something to be said for landing the plane in pop culture because you remember how it ends. You don't always remember how it begins and the good things that happened in the middle if the ending gets screwed up. If Harry Potter hadn't ended the way that it did, I still think people would have celebrated it, but they would have been underwhelmed. They would have been disappointed. There are numerous examples of this. You could probably tweet me at jmartzone right now with movies that you loved right up until the ending. The biggest example for me is always going to be Collateral, the Michael Mann film with Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx, which was great right up until they did the most predictable, easy thing in the final 30 minutes and ruined it. I've only watched that movie once as a result. I probably would have watched it dozens of times had it gone the other way. You can enjoy an experience for 75% of it and then not like the end and it ruins it. 
That doesn't. I mean, that's the same thing with a sporting event. You can watch a great Super Bowl with your team in it, and then they don't win, and you can't ever watch it again. Rams Titans. Think about that one. How many times you watch that game? Because you know how that last play is. You know how it goes. Game of Thrones for eight seasons has built up this war between the dead and the undead as something that was inevitably going to happen. Winter is coming. That's what it meant. So winter came last night. And I say cam, came in past tense, and I'm going to leave it right there. But it seemed to go out with more of a whimper narratively than it should have. Avengers for nearly a decade and a half since Iron Man hit in 2008 has been crafting these 23 movies to tell one larger story. But the Avengers that featured multiple characters from these films in starring roles there were four. I contend there were five because I would suggest to you that Civil War is actually an Avengers film more than it is purely a Captain America film. But you get to Endgame after Infinity War was basically there as the Avengers Matrix reloaded to get you to the final stanza. And you're just crossing your fingers if you're a fan of these properties and just hoping that they land this plane successfully and give you a satisfying ending. Many were left unsatisfied last night by Game of Thrones. Many were satisfied by it as well. It had one iconic moment in it. I don't know how I feel about it, quite frankly. So the answer to the poll question is always going to be subjective as to how you like your Starks. Do you like them in Game of Thrones or do you like them in the Avengers? Let's play a little bit of music to dictate to me what I think by far the better of these two experiences was. Not even close, folks. Avengers Endgame, with the exception of The Dark Knight, it's the best comic book film ever. Took down Captain America the Winter Soldier. The last hour is why we love movies and why we love stories. Talked to Brad Wills, the program director, who was seeing it for a second time today. He said he cried seven times yesterday when he saw it for the first time. Everybody in the theater I was in cried. Every critic that I watched it with was crying. Because it paid off everything you wanted it to. And speaking of paid, $350 million box office, U.S. and Canada this weekend. Biggest ever. The other nine, Star Wars did 250, The Force Awakens. Infinity War did 240. Avengers did 230. Jurassic Park did 220. Last Jedi, Age of Ultron, Dark Knight, Black Panther, Spider-Man 3, right around 200 each. This thing dwarfed them all. It's going to be the highest box office film we've ever seen. And it deserves every bit of that accolade because it is absolutely spectacular. A plus. That's my big six review. That's my pop six review. Now let's send you to fast talk. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless and good night.